the seven churches of the book of Revelation, written about at the end of the first century, about 95, 96 A.D. So you think about that, it came along these words about 60 or so years after Jesus lived his life and went, uh, went to heaven. The book of Revelation is a vision given by Jesus to a man named John, who was one of the disciples of Jesus, the last living apostle. The book begins with Jesus speaking specifically to seven unique different churches. Jesus called them candlesticks, light in the darkness. He also used the word lampstands to help us to see where the church was at the end of the first century. What had happened to it? They certainly describes in the book of Revelation, describes for that matter a spiritual warfare going on within the churches. And the reality, though sometimes we use the term church as if that means that it's perfect and it's great and grand and glorious, but we all know that churches are full of people. The church, the ecclesia of God, loved of God. Well, this morning, out of the seven churches, we've come to the fourth one, the middle one. The words in this prophecy, by a little, and it's not that significant, but Jesus speaks longer to this church than he does any of the other six, by a little bit. The fourth church, the name is Thyatira. Thyatira. And according to the next uh, picture that you'll see on this map, I believe that will come up. It is circled, Thyatira, right here. We started with Ephesus, and then Smyrna, and last week Pergamum, and this week Thyatira. You remember down here, Patmos, this island is where this book was recorded. So today... We look at Thyatira. It was known, Thyatira was, for some of its guilds or crafts. And especially, the area was known for its cloth manufacturing. The making of cloth and clothes. And especially, the dyeing of material, of cloth. It was from Thyatira that Acts chapter 16 describes a new convert. Her name was Lydia. Listen to the description in Acts chapter 16 of, of what it says about Thyatira and about a little bit about Lydia. This is Paul writing, or of his life being written. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us into her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. And so from this city of Thyatira, you have this woman who was a dealer in purple 
cloth. And she became one of the earliest converts of the church, of the, of a, of the movement of the Christian church across Asia. I want you to think about what this scripture says about uh, Lydia. And then we're going to read quite a contrast to Lydia, another woman from Thyatira, who's described by the words of Jesus in Revelation chapter 2. Jesus spoke of this other lady in the story. So now I want to read that story. Revelation chapter 2 verse 18, if you'd like to follow along. Revelation chapter 2 verse 18. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teachings, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of infliction, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds." Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will, to the end I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give that one the morning star." Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Last week we read about in the church to Pergamum, we read the description of Jesus who had the double-edged sword. And we were reminded last week of how important the sword of Jesus' own words and truth were to the messages to the churches. The double-edged sword... That's Jesus. That's truth. Truth that, that convicts people. Truth that grabs their attention and shows them what is right. Jesus speaks with a double-edged sword to the churches. In the message to Thyatira, we have two more descriptions of Jesus. Two additional pictures, ideas that God gives us of the identity of who Jesus is. The first one is the eyes of blazing fire. Imagine as John was watching and listening and writing down what Jesus said to him and, and Jesus looked at John and John saw in Jesus an amazing face, an amazing capturing of something, eyes of blazing fire. Somehow eyes that penetrated into John. Jesus speaks to us as if he's looking right into our eyes. I always think you've always heard how important eye contact is in certain contexts. 
But can you imagine what John was sensing and feeling when he looked into Jesus' eyes as he was speaking here? He describes eyes of blazing fire, penetrating knowledge, truth, eternal truth. And when John saw Jesus, he just had this overwhelming sense of the truth of what Jesus was saying and the knowledge of what Jesus was saying to the churches. Somehow Jesus had perfect knowledge of this church and all the churches. John knew that there was no deceiving Jesus. John would know, as, as you do, I'm sure, that we might can deceive each other. We might can live one way and people not realize what's going on inside of us, but we can never, ever, ever deceive Jesus. He has us in His knowledge and His eyes that are blazing, blazing fire. Hebrews chapter 4 says it like this. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of of whom we must give an account. Everything in our lives are laid open and bare and, 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 and someday... We will stand before those eyes at the judgment and give an account. The second description is of Jesus' feet. And to John, they were burnished bronze, strong, powerful, in control. They were secure. They were enduring. So Jesus is speaking to the church at at Thyatira with great truth and great strength. And what he had to say to the church was so important to them. The words of God, the heart of God, strength, power. These are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. So when we read the book of Revelation, it's good to read remembering who is speaking. This image, this picture of this incredible double-edged sword and these eyes that are blazing fire and these feet that are burnished bronze. These are the words of God. Just in case anybody has forgotten, it's the Son of God who is speaking to the churches. It's God Himself who speaks to the seven churches and speaks to us. I think about that, the Son of God. I'm thinking, how does He speak to us? We know that Jesus speaks with great insight. He knows. There's no no question about whether Jesus has a handle on the church, and on the body of Christ, and on your life, and on your soul. He knows. He also speaks with interest, with passion, with love for you, with love for me, with love for the church. Ephesians says that He loved the church and gave Himself up up for it. So when Jesus speaks to us, it's not this disinterested voice that gets around to, well, I'll give Him a message sometime and take it or leave it or whatever. Jesus speaks to us with great interest. And so when He speaks... In His Word, whatever book it is in, wherever He's at, He speaks as one 
who's very interested that we hear it and we respond to it and we know what he means and we know what he says. One way to say it is Jesus is fully vested when he speaks. He doesn't waste his words. It's not like Jesus just talks to talk. Every word that proceedeth out of the the mouth of God is true and right. He speaks with interest. He speaks with connection. He also speaks with intensity. Certainly we see in the words of Jesus in the book of Revelation, the intensity that He speaks, the urgency, the urgency of these words to the church. It's not a casual conversation. There are times that Jesus had many, what I would call, casual conversations. But when I read the book of Revelation, I realize that His words have purpose. And they have purpose for us today in 2021. So when you read the words of Revelation in these and these churches ask God, what's your purpose for me today? What's your purpose in the church? When I first started through these seven churches, I, I really didn't think I was going to preach about each one, but I, I did from the first one. Then I read the second one. I thought, oh man, we've got to read that. And then the Pergamon. And now this next one. And I feel like every word of God has purpose. It has something to say to us. I feel like this church, there's something that God at least speaks to me about as a pastor. What I sense and what I feel. You may not sense and feel that at all. But when I read Thyatira, there's a couple things that really stood out to me. I want to share them with you in a, a cup as part of what I have to say. Jesus speaks with intensity. He also speaks with invitation. Jesus always speaks with invitation. It's going to be that way until the final judgment. He is always calling. Always inviting. Always saying to people, come. Come unto me, all you who are weary and and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Invitation. Today, Jesus is speaking with invitation. There will be a day where Jesus will speak with judgment. But today is the day of Jesus speaking with invitation. In fact, he says it to all, the ch- all seven churches in a way, a different, different words and forms. Every one of them, he gives an invitation to. He offers to them hope and connection and reconnection. He gives them truth. And he says, now it's up to you. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with my invitation to you? He always offers the option of hope when we read his words here. At Thyatira especially, Jesus speaks words of great affection and approval to the church. There's five words in verse 15 that have really got in my mind and on my mind as I think about Thyatira. Five words in verse 19 that are are big words. They're not long words, but they're not words to be glossed over when we study the book of Revelation and what it says to us. They are words of affirmation. Words that tell us that he knows where we're at and what we're doing and 
and who we are and what we're like. The first thing, the first word that he uses is, I know your deeds. I know your deeds. Very simply in verse 19. I know your deeds. To the righteous, Jesus says, I know all about your work. I know all about the things that you have been doing to serve me. I know all about the past. I know about all the things that you've done that other people know about. But I'm sure Jesus also knows about all the things that they had been doing that were behind the scenes. I think that's probably a lot like the church today. There are a lot of things that people can see that we do when we serve the Lord and and be thankful for each other and express that and be grateful. And then there's probably a lot of things that go on behind the scenes that no one knows about. We might think nobody knows about, but we're reminded here that Jesus does. And he says to the church, I know your deeds. I know that you have put yourself out there. I know that you have continued to do what's good and right and help people. And, and today I want us to see the importance of this word. I know your deeds. And then he says right after that, I know your faith, your love and faith. I know your faith and love. That's not a small description. Jesus said to the church at Thyatira and to those good people that were there, I know your faith. I know that you have heard the gospel and you have held on to it and you believed it and you confessed it and you've internalized it and you have made that your compass. You have made that your north star. I know that. I can see that. I can see that when all the things are going on around you that you're holding on to who I am. Thyatira also had a worship of a Greek god temple in their city. Not near as big and It didn't seem to be as intense as it was in the other places that we looked at. But they also had to make a decision about whether they're going to hold to their faith or not. Jesus said to them, I see your faith. He also said, I I see your love. Again, I don't want to go too quickly over these words that, that, that Jesus uses here. I see your faith and your love. Love for me. Love for God wasn't just a head knowledge. It wasn't just a, a tongue. Yeah, I love God. Yeah, I, I love Jesus. I love my salvation. No, Jesus says it in a deep, deep way. I see your love. It's real. It's genuine. Maybe he was thinking both about love for God and love for man. I don't know. He doesn't say any more right here. But I'm guessing that I see your agape. I see that it's real. And I think what a, a great thing for Jesus to say to a church. You're genuine. You're real. You're not like those people out there that say they love me. and You're not like those people that say, oh, we love God and who cares about our brother? We're getting ahead. Or who cares about them? Let it go. No, they had a genuine love. And it played out in their deeds. This is a beautiful commentation. I know your deeds. All these I'm drawing from verse 19 here. The fourth one I see here is, I know your service. Related, I'm sure, to the deeds. I know your service. I know the time that you put in. 
I know the efforts that you give. I know that you, you work tirelessly. You do your best. You give your best. What a beautiful thing for Jesus to say to a church. I know your service. I know that. Sometimes you might wonder when you serve. Some people wonder sometimes. A lot of people wonder sometimes. Does it do any good? Is it making a difference? I just want you to hear this. Jesus said, I know your service. I know. And he commends the church. He also says one more word here. It's a long one. I know your perseverance. Jesus knew what they had put up with at Thyatira. And we'll talk about that here when we come to it here in a minute. He knew that they had some deep problems. But he says to them, some of you in that church, you are really, really persevering. You haven't given up. You haven't let it stop you. You haven't quit. You haven't let up. You haven't given up. You haven't thrown in the towel. You haven't let it get to you. I see your perseverance. Look at this beautiful list. This is for the righteous of the church at Thyatira. And I want to say today that this is for the righteous of the church at Mifflinburg. I believe so deeply. Maybe I say, what did I get from this passage? Well, this is one of them. I see so much the church of Mifflinburg and Thyatira. I see the faithfulness. I see the hard work. I see the deeds. I see the giving. I see the love. I see the efforts. I see the time. I see the perseverance. Probably if I were going to write a letter to the churches, to the church at Mifflinburg, I, there would be an element of, of Thyatira that I would write because I sincerely feel that way about you and about this church. And so I just want to say today, thank you. Thank you in the ways that, that this church, in my opinion, in many ways, and many of you match up to what Jesus speaks to the church at Thyatira. That really is special. It's precious. I don't want to gloss over that when I talk about the problems at Thyatira. But to see, this is what Jesus said, and it came from that double-edged sword. It came from the one with eyes of blazing fire, the one with feet that burnished bronze. Jesus says, what a beautiful church it is in these five ways. Beautiful ways. And so I give thanks for that. And I just thank you for your serving of the church and your love for God in these ways that come. That doesn't mean that every person in the church fit that category, and obviously not everyone did. Nor did it mean that the people who served the Lord, the righteous, were always perfect, or always got it right, or never, never struggled, or never wrestled with their faith, or how they did, or even their love at times. But I'm so thankful for this example out of the seven that can help us to see that Jesus sees with great Love and appreciation in the church that loves Him and serves Him too. 
And so thank you for your deeds. Thank you for your faith and love. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your perseverance. May Jesus give you the strength to keep going uh, in a time that might not always seem so easy to do that. Look at the end of verse 25. I see something also that caught my attention. I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. Jesus says to that part of the church and the gang, he said, I just want to tell you to hold on. Don't give up. Hold on till I come. I see it. Hang in there. Hold on to what you have until I come. He who hath ears to hear, let him hear what Jesus says to the church at Thyatira. Nevertheless, Jesus said, I, I have this against you. There were problems in the church, two specifically, and they were very much related. He names two evils especially that existed within the body of the church at Thyatira. They both, you could say, are about the enemy, about Satan, about his deception, about his schemes. In verse 24, Jesus speaks of Satan's so-called deep secrets. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called dark, I'm sorry, deep secrets. I believe Jesus is referring when he says deep secrets. I read quite a few commentaries and there's a variety of thoughts of maybe what exactly Jesus was thinking about there. But I think what Jesus was talking about basically was the deceptive nature of Satan and how much Satan wants to deceive his people and the church. And Satan wants to take a little hook into the church and lead it astray and lead it off course. You know, just a little tiny hook in a large fish's mouth is enough to turn that fish and follow that. And in the same way, Jesus is warning the church about something, about deception, about what God uh, intends for good, but Satan can twist and make into evil. And so I believe that part of this story of Thyatira is about deception. We're reminded the scripture says a lot about the enemy, about Satan. He's the father of lies, for example. He's the father of lies. Everything that comes out of the mouth of Satan is to deceive and to lie. He has been lying from the beginning, another scripture says. And Jesus said to the church at Thyatira, some of you are, uh, are too gullible. Some of you fall for those deceptions of Satan. You know that appear in, you know, that be an angel of light. Some of the things that you believe and how you live and how you connect life's issues to your choices and some of you are susceptible to believe things that can destroy you. And so he says, be careful about them. Some in the church have fallen, just fallen for deception. They haven't just stumbled, but they have fallen. They've fallen for half-truth. They've fallen for something that has a little bit of truth in it, but just enough to lead them away, distorting the truth. And in one area particularly, and Jesus focuses on that, the most evident and destructive of all these deceptions and 
the deep secrets, so-called here, is the toleration of Jezebel. Someone, a woman within the church, that Jesus calls Zebedel, Jezebel, I'm sorry, certainly after the story in the Old Testament, is leading others into Satan's deception at Thyatira. And it's painful and it's ugly. And you have this church that's doing well in so many ways, but you have this persistent, immoral woman called Jezebel who has influence over the rest of the people in the church. And Jesus used the pain, painful word here, and He says, you tolerate it. You allow it. You don't stop it. You don't put an end to it. We don't know the details about Jezebel. We know she's a false teacher. We know that she lies and she distorts the truth in any number of ways. All the ways that she is a false teacher says she's a prophet, but she's not. She's a false prophet. She disfigures the church. She causes the reputation of the church to be damaged. And the church needs to stand up to her. Toleration of a sinful, destructive influence. That was the problem at Thyatira. That was the sin that they struggled with. Maybe they didn't know how to. Maybe they didn't know what to do. Maybe they had fallen into the deception to think it was no big deal. One of the struggles in the early church, in the Roman Empire especially, was the whole struggle against sexual immorality. We talked about last week that as kind of the main thing in the message that I spoke. Apparently sexual immorality had crept into the church and it wasn't just from the Roman pressure and the, the emperor worship and the prostitution at the, the temples. But it was even coming from within the church. And there were people inside the church who were being deceived in thinking that sexual immorality was okay with God. You know, we have things that people say today that painfully remind us that sin of any kind in the church should not be ignored. Sometimes we think, well, the world's changed so much, surely God has changed about how He views our sexuality. But the reality is the same God who gave the book of Revelation chapter 2 to us is the same God that speaks to us today, to the church at Mifflinburg and to our culture and society. I don't know if this woman was especially intentionally devious or she was just so used by Satan that she lost her bearings and and became an object of terrible deception. She's the opposite of what we say, and I, I love this term, and you know I use it a lot when I preach, that we all have a circle of influence. And I always say, every one of us have a circle of influence. As a Christian, you have a circle of influence, and whether it's in school with the kids around you, or your neighborhood, or your young people that you're with at college, or... Uh, in your family, your marriage, your children, your parents, your siblings, or here at church. 
We need thee every hour, that song we sang before. But there's also a reality of the church and the importance of accountability in the body of Christ. When we're not on track, we will influence other people away from God. And here was this woman, Jezebel, been going on for a while, and somehow the church, Jesus uses the word, tolerated it. Sexual immorality. Two thousand years has not changed the offensiveness of sexual immorality to God. I know sometimes we think because of the culture and the movies and the music and and what did I say? Uh, the talk, our peers, other people who talk about it, and that's no big deal. God has not moved an inch. On what is sexually immoral to him. And if we tolerate it. Are we any better than Thyatira? If we say. It's no big deal. Are we any better than Thyatira? One of the many challenges, what do we say? How do we speak truth in love? How do we express truth in love? I don't want to just drive people away from this church. I care about that. And I often pray, God, what do you want me to say? How often should I say it? But I don't want to tolerate anything whether it be sexual immorality or any other sin. This isn't the only sin the church needs to be careful about. Is God's people. Some of the sins that I think are a little bit more destructive are the relational sins. There's issues of forgiveness. Issues of letting go of things that we should. I don't want to tolerate anything that offends God. How to do that, I'm not sure. And we try to work at it. But when I read Thyatira, it's like, Wayne, you better be on your knees about this. What does God say to me? What does God say to you about toleration? That's the word that sticks out to me. It's not so much Jezebel. I mean, it does. And, you know, maybe because last week I focused on it, sexual immorality isn't what gets me, but it's the word toleration here. And as Christians, how can we keep each other accountable in a positive way? How can we do it in a way that builds the body of Christ and makes us stronger instead of weaker? He who hath ears to ear, let him hear what Jesus says to the churches. 2,000 years has not changed the offensiveness of any sin to God. If we think time has done that, then I'm afraid we've uh, 
Maybe we've heard some of Satan's so-called deep secrets. And I want to say, especially in this area of sexual immorality, I wrestle with it. I know you do too. What do we say to people that we love? What do we say to people for whom our hearts are broken? I know we must speak the truth in love. We must hold on to both of those things. God help us to know how to do that. God understands us. He understood the church at Thyatira. And he knew about Jezebel. Somehow she reveled in it. The thing about Jezebel is she also claimed to be a Christian. She was full of of sin and evilness, but yet, perhaps, I mean, it would seem from the context at one point she, she, she was in love with Jesus. But she was deceived by Satan's deep secrets. And Jesus called her out on it. He called her out. I say that because Jesus had spoken to her earlier and called her to repent twice. We have that inference here. It's not like this is the first time that Jesus realized or recognized this problem at Thyatira. Apparently he had been speaking to Jezebel and she had hardened her heart. And I, if I understand right and I'm correct in that, you know, in how I read that, this immorality had been going on and Jesus had had spoken to her, told her to repent. He called her to repent. Look at verse 21, it says, I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So it's not like Jesus said, oh man, you messed up, you're done. Jesus has been speaking, and He speaks to us. That's called conviction. It's called hearing. Then we make a choice, we make a decision. Do we respond to it or not? Jesus had spoken to Jezebel, but she refused to repent. And so, her judgment was promised by Jesus. Jesus speaks in and out of our time and out of human history and in eternity. But before I move on to that, I just want to say again, I'm reminded Jesus wants us to repent. Every time He says in these, in these letters to the churches, repent, it's not because He's wanting to punish us. He wants us to turn around. So in His love, He says to Jezebel, Jezebel, repent. That's the heart of God. Last week I talked about the woman caught in adultery. There's several stories. There's another one. There were three that were crucified that day. Two sinners. One on the right and one on the left of Jesus. One of them... If you're the Son of God, why don't you just take care of this? And 
and the other. Don't say that. This man is innocent. Will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? What did Jesus say? Oh, today you'll be with me in paradise. It's the heart of Jesus that we repent. So that word keeps coming back to me when I read Thyatira. Repent. It's the invitation. Turn around. Hear what I say to the churches. And if this is where you're at, repent. We're reminded that Jesus knows our hearts and our needs and our minds. He searches our hearts and our minds. And He rewards the faithful. He will punish sin. I know it's a lot more pleasant if we don't think of the punishment of God. Especially when we think about our children and our grandchildren. Remember the so-called deep secrets. Jesus speaks His truth. He has His eternal view in His hands. He calls us to repent. And He says to those that are victorious, and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. And he talks about two things there. He talks about uh, how he rewards those that honor him and serve him. And he talks about the morning star. The morning star. Hope. Eternity. Future. He who hath ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Would you stand, please? Dear God, I pray today that you would help us to understand the word repent. We've read it now several times in Revelation. We've read it now... in the context of a loving Jesus who sees the candlestick. He sees the sin in the church. At Thyatira, it was especially about this woman Jezebel. In this case, in other churches, there are other tempters and temptresses and issues and pitfalls. God, help us to hear that this isn't about one sin. It's about tolerating anything that offends you. That God, we will hold on to and embrace truth in 2021. It just seems to me like sexual immorality is so difficult today because of the deception that's out there. And it's like I feel like I'm standing up to this great tidal wave and I'm a little tiny speck and God I pray help me to know what to do and say 
Help the church that we don't just give up in despair and we don't just hurt people and break people and always have a heart of Jesus to invite them to hear your truth, God. Help us never to think we're the judges. Help us to get out of the judging zone so that all we're doing is speaking the truth in love. Help us to know how to deal with the spirit of Jezebel in this culture. Help our candlestick not to go out because we're not willing to stand up. To your truth, God, I pray. Help us, God, not to tolerate anything among us that you want to take out. Help us to have an attitude that says, Jesus, please come to Mifflinburg and and write a letter, please. Would you write that letter, Jesus, on my heart? Give us a chance, Jesus. Show us your truth. May we respond to it today, I pray. As Jesus gave Jezebel opportunity to repent, we know that you love us. Help us, God, to be teachable today. Help us to have a teachable spirit, a flexible spirit. All those attributes of the church that Jesus Described in Thyatira. May that be the church here today, God. You know who we are. You know what our needs are today, God. Speak to us. Draw us to your truth, I pray. In this chapter, this incredible chapter, Revelation chapter 2 and four churches. It's amazing. Speak to your people, I pray. Thank you for who you are, Jesus. Thank you that you can change lives. Thank you, God, for the joy of baptism and our celebration tonight. I pray that each person that's baptized would have in their hearts a desire to be clean and free with your Holy Spirit, to walk with you, I pray. Thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.